You've joined the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and today I've rented Superman 3. Watching it with me is the author, Mark O'Connell. Hi, Mark, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm ready to talk Krypton. I'm up for this. Brilliant. One of your books, uh, Watching Skies, touches on Superman quite a bit. Um, mm. What's so special about Superman 3 for you? Um, I, I, I don't know why everyone shouldn't have their own answer to that immediately, but... Ultimately, standing back, Superman 3 is like a lot of franchises. Like, you've got Star Trek 3, Jaws 3, Return of the Jedi. For me, I was slightly that generation where I was more... Superman 3 was around my life more than perhaps Superman the movie and Superman 2 were, because Superman 3 emerged... Yeah, I remember the release. I remember the posters in all the cinema lobbies. So I, I'm sort of defending it and thinking it's kind of special because it's the one that I may have hung out with a lot more than Superman the movie and Superman 2, which sounds like heresy when I say it like that. But um, yeah, I've got a little... It's like the slightly cheeky, tacky cousin, you know, who I quite like to hang out with. You, you, you always had a cousin or a best mate that would get you into sort of trouble, and I think Superman 3 is my uh, sole kind version of that. <laughs> I'd have to agree with you. I think, um, sort of growing up when I did, I mean, this, this was the one that I probably saw the most I think it always seemed to be on ITV yeah um, and I'm not sure whether it was just because it was pitched a little bit differently certainly from Superman the movie but um, Superman 2 as well it was because it was that much more slapstick there were so many more light scenes in there compared to mm. again the first one yes. um, and growing up it just seemed to be almost what you'd expect a comic book movie to be the the whole sort of conflict between superman and clark kent and richard pryor which i suppose at the time i i didn't think anything different other than he's a bloke in a superman film it's not uh, no controversy or anything like that yeah I, I i never know like you say i never noticed that it was sort of pitched and framed as a richard pryor film you know in later life i suddenly realized that's what that was the saw kinds you know modus operandi that was what they did they would have a they'd have a film about musketeers or santa claus or superman or supergirl but they would pick bigger names and and uh, sort of pepper the film with bigger box office names because you know they were very business you know they they knew the the box office business the sort kinds and i kind of admire them for that you know they they maybe cut a few corners and how many times do we have to see that guy in the plaid shirt walking <laughs> in that establishing shot even as a kid i'm thinking We've seen that this bit before in like one of the other films, um, uh, but yeah, I I had no problem with prior. Perhaps looking at it now, there's an overbalance, and um, there's a sort of sense he's improvising a lot of scenes because I, I, I imagine I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I, I know Richard Pryor had a lot of d- demons uh, with his various vices, and it does slightly feel like a film he will never remember filming. But I I do like its the, the sense of comedy about it. It it's a very much a tonal shift and you're right about that's interesting you're right that it's a comic book i mean i always say and i would defend it more that obviously superman the movie is the definitive comic book cinema template even more so and in fact when you know i think there's two there's three templates actually in superhero movies and they are superman the movie batman 89 and i would now say joker because i I just think that's a stunning piece of art and cinema um, and often superhero films aren't art and cinema, but I do think Superman the movie, Batman 89 and Joker very much have ticked that box. Superman 3 less so, I'll give it that, but it, <laughs> it's, you know, it's for a third film. I, I, what I like about those 
80 Superman films particularly is they are a Superman movie. We don't, you know, even when we have Justice League and Bat, uh, Man of Steel, we we seem to can't get out of the origin. You know, the or setting it up, and I, that's what I like about Superman three. Particularly, we don't need a setup. You know, we don't even have the villain set up. He's already, you know, Robert Vaughn's already doing his bling, blingy, great, gaspy, slightly Hackman uh, shtick from the get go. It's not set up, and I like it for that. I like sometimes just to cut to the chase in a superhero hero movie. I don't need a whole lifetime of angst and rejection. Yeah, I think. I mean, with this one in particular, I mean, you know, Superman appears i think the first time we see him in costume he's coming out of a photo booth yes that because we know that he changes from clark Kent to superman in photo booths or phone boxes or revolving doors or, or things mm. like that mm. and mm. saves a man from drowning in his own car it, it, believe me if you haven't seen this film it, you need to it makes sense yeah John, um, and in a city as well yeah. he's not near a lake or a river <laughs> yeah you're right yeah and he also hands a photo to himself because obviously the little toddler boy that plays uh, young clark kent lifting the the Kent family uh, truck at the beginning of Superman the movie is the little boy that gets handed the photos in the passport booth, which I love that. And he's also in um, Man of Steel playing a soldier as well. So Superman films are quite good at that, just bringing back people and popping them back in, whether you notice or not. Um, But yeah, the slapstick to me, though, nothing screams out what's possibly a problem with Superman 3, if you want to view Superman 3 as having any problems, and I don't know how people would ever do that. But... um, I, I think nothing sums it up more than it says directed by Richard Lester as someone gets a sort of custard pie in the face. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think perhaps I'm I'm definitely team Donna when it comes to Superman yes. move you know, the sort kind of era of, of uh, Krypton. Um but and actually I think what's so what's great about Superman three is it, it holds more DNA of Richard Donna than not, like, you know, the grimy loud employment bureau cues and sort of that constant noise of tapping and keyboards i think that's actually a lot more richard donner than richard lester so the i yeah i think the reason superman 3 works is it's still got that richard donner dna and also that tom mankovitz dna uh, that sent that slightly acidic barbed wit like get a hold of yourself vera no no one else ever will i, I that's that's a real mankovitz kind of hangover type line i mean one thing i did write and i, I do wonder if if Mankiewicz wrote this one was um, a little bit further down the line when mm. they're going to the Grand Canyon and Gus Gorman prior insists on taking a donkey because yes. he says I, I don't believe a man can fly mm. yes. you know, riff, riffing on the, the first film's tagline and, and you just wonder some, someone sat there and patted themselves on the back very proudly for yeah. that one well, I can't remember. I was going to check uh, Tom Mankiewicz's biography, which I've got on the shelf here, or autobiography. Um, but he, his fingerprints on a lot of films he doesn't always get credited for, like like Batman 89. I think he had a sweep through on Gremlins as well. Um, and there's a few other films. I mean, he also had, he looked at more, he worked on more Bond films than he ever got credited for as well. And I do wonder, yeah, maybe he had a little uh, check uh, on the, uh, although to be fair, he wouldn't, he was he was team donner as well so i doubt he would have come back and um done that particular favor i mean this film bringing together a lot of elements from the previous films but clearly you know with you know that that whole opening scene i, I won't go into it too much but you know you've got things with penguins on fire mm. and mm. you know the probably the anti advert for guide dogs and things but 
it's everything around it and i watched researching this the the making of documentary that was on the blu-ray oh i love that one is that the genuine is that the one from the day back in the day yes um where was al matthews i think narrated that one yeah they've sort of filming this whole scene in was it uh, was it vancouver uh calgary calgary yeah yeah. and the the scene with a bank robbery which Mm. you know one point that he made in this is all these people are standing around watching what looks like a bank robbery not knowing how integral it is to the plot which is very very minimal yeah all it does is basically sets up the guy in the car getting shot um, mm-hmm. getting drowned nearly and uh, you know things like that there's a whole sort of raft of things that they're just tiny cogs in that whole element and all you can see is as Clark Kent wanders off in his very tasteful beige suit people staring out of a window and that's where Gus Gorman is learning his computers yes yeah with well by pressing I think pretty much print he he confuses the whole teacher Okay, I missed, slightly missed, overlooked that one. So you're saying that that chaos almost instigates the film? Oh, well, that, that seems to be happening yeah. while people are looking out of the window at the, the computer school that he's at. Yeah, it's brilliantly choreographed. Though. I mean, fair play. It, it does have a pace and rhythm, but it, you know, Richard Lester did a lot of Beatles movies and it does have that slight sort of, sort of bizarre swinging 60s let's do anything on the streets vibe because we can and it's the swinging 60s but it's not swinging 60s it's 1983 or 1982 and we're doubling up sort of metropolis new york in calgary to sort of save a few bucks yeah it's a kind of strange opener and and when you look back you know it's the first opener of superman movie it's not in space and i remember even even as a kid thinking it's all a little bit local it's you know it's a little bit high street Mm. um more than it should have been but they're not as British High Street of Superman 4, but that, I mean, wow, that, yeah. that, that's when the uh, Krypton green stuff does hit the, uh, <laughs> the Lex Luthor fan. I mean, I noticed, and, and again, this is probably from watching on, on ITV as a kid, and I, I know this is more of a thing now because they brought out recently an extended version of the original Superman film, which yeah. I remember bits of from watching on TV. But I, I did see a version of this where the credits were in space. They had the whole uh, a different theme because this one opens with, obviously it's not John Williams in, mm. involved at all, but it's a very jaunty opening theme, you know, that just plays along with the Pamela Stevenson walking through as men stop and get custard pied in the face. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very 40s, if you think about it. She's sort of slightly Betty booping her way down the street. And, and I I always remember seeing Pamela Stevenson on a chat show talking English, and that really confused me, or, or, <laughs> uh, or didn't have that squeaky voice, uh, rather, because she was never English. Um, uh, yeah, and I, uh, I it's all those British TV faces as well, that confused me. Like, people from the Benny Hill, like Bob Todd, who was one of Benny Hill's... Um, sort of uh, stooges he was in it and graham stark and henry wolf there's all these pals of richard lester sort of starting the film um but it's fine it's fine it, i think it's that moment of where clark kent's sort of extinguishing uh fiery penguins i remember thinking yeah that's this is <laughs> this isn't quite sort of lowest lane in a helicopter not really no but as you say it's a a bit more high street to donna's metropolis yeah it, yeah, yeah no, exactly. no, no less enjoyable. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and also because I think Superman three, I say in the book, it, it's because the first two Superman movies have that beautiful sense of Americana, you know, mm. whether it's sort of a, the mythology of Smallville and those beautiful cornfields, 
flipped with the urban modernity of um, of Metropolis, get the real sort of Studio 54, late 70s Metropolis. But that slightly goes out the uh, Daily Planet window here and it, it becomes a sort of film, of an allegory to consumerism or a metaphor for consumerism in a computer age. So it's all about what you're buying, what do you earn, what's in your bank. You know, it, there's a lot, it's a real 80s Superman film as well. The first scenes in the Daily Planet, it's all about drawing a competition to increase circulation for the planet itself. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, and, and the various sort of bits and bobs there. Um, talking about sort of articles, and this is almost like where they they touched upon in Superman Two, where they're talking about the sort of weekend supplement, the whole thing, reason why Lois and Clark went to Niagara Falls. That's right. Yeah. And this one's about sort of Superman off doing his high school reunion, and uh, Lois obviously completely written out of the film, mm, going to mm. Bermuda, and turns out undercovering huge levels of corruption while in a tiny bikini. Yeah, and it's yeah that that sort of sidelining of. Margot Kidder. There's rumours that she, you know, she fell out with the producers. They fell out with her. Then they've all said no, that wasn't the case. Who knows? And maybe I don't know. Third spin of that. Will they? Won't they? Lois Clark thing may not have worked a third time. Um, but yeah, one thing. Did you notice there's a weird time jump? Because in Superman the movie, his childhood, his school childhood is. Uh, so it's really framed by a 50s americana and it's mm. it's rock around the clock and it's you know 50s uh football girls and boys and their studebakers and all of that and then five years later third film superman 3 he's going back to his high school reunion and it's the i think it's the class of 65 I'm yeah like, hang on that. how did how many years did clark stay in that remedial year it's like they really eat that one out yeah um, i may have so, read that wrong but well no i, I was trying to do some maths because I, I mean obviously the first film was in 78 and then i'm sure at one point Jarrell said when they're in the fortress of solitude 12 of your years will have passed or, or something you've reasoned out logical judgments by the time we return to the confines of your galaxy 12 of your years will have passed so okay, I suppose that would have been 66. Right. Okay. All right, that, um, gets, that gets around that one. Right, okay. I, I think. But then it did seem, certainly from our perspective, you know, that the music that was being played in the car, mm. that, you know, that Clark raced home and, mm. and the dress of the day, it, it seemed of a slightly different era. I'd have imagined, you know, it would have been difficult, uh, I guess, trying to remove it from that contemporary world. But... You know, if Superman was, or Clark Kent was growing up in America in the mid 60s, I mean, even in Kansas, they'd have been pretty aware of, I don't know, Beatlemania or something like mm, that. Mm, yeah. And Clark does that weird thing of he, instead of, I think they've missed the beat in Superman 3. We could have had him maybe visiting the grave of Jonathan Kent, but no, he's he's more obsessed with his sort of jaunty over the shoulder folded knitwear um, <laughs> sort of clark's really become a sort of simon le bon 80s yuppie almost catalog model yes exactly <laughs> you know the, the big first set piece of the film is the chemical fire mm. on the way that uh, clark and jimmy are on the way to smallville it's weird that i suppose clark needs to take a photographer with him but um they they come across this fire and, and Shane Rimmer is the the local police officer. I guess he's been demoted again. Was, after his, yeah, you know, I was about the, to say the Great Rimmer, but that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's in all UK audiences uh, balk at that one. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 Shane Rimmer should be in every uh, every Superman film, every Bond film, every everything film. Um, yeah. I love Shane Rimmer. Yeah, it's a great set. It was all, as usual, it was always f- filmed in a lake outside Slough as well. <laughs> I, I like I like the sort kind sense of economy on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably been in more of these podcasts than I think of than anyone else. But um, I, I mean, met he... him a year or oh, two really? ago. Yeah, and oh, it was wow. just like, and I heard the voice over my shoulder chatting wow. to someone else. And I went, Shane Rimmer's right behind me, and I, all I could hear was, "What's a curl?" and all those Bond <laughs> sort of colonels he's played. Um, and he had a great, great life as well, uh, being the sort of Canadian token yank. Uh, yeah, that happened to be in the right home county studio system <laughs> at the right time. I mean, it's strange he even popped up in uh, we mentioned in Morons from Outer Space, which is just mm. completely random. But I uh, think it's, he's in Batman is it, Begins. Uh, Batman Begins, yeah, yeah. it's like the, the train controller or something. And that's yeah, that's like a real that the casting people or uh, the director really knew what they were doing when they just dropped him <laughs> in the bomb. Yeah, but this one, um, Jimmy sneaks off to take photographs of the fire. Uh, Clark does a quick change in the back of a police car, which, you know, he did well because most police cars have the child locks on the back seats. Um, and the chief of police, I mean, it's just a, a f- one of these funny little jokes. Is it, you know, turns, he gets, says, get this man a helmet, turns around, sees Superman, forget the helmet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that Jimmy Olsen thing of, I'm going to turn up and help document this for posterity, but I'm going to just break my ankle in really slightly childish stupid ways and no one ever sees his photos as well has anyone ever seen a jimmy olsen mark mcclure era photo i don't i don't feel we have I, other, I th- other than and i guess this is probably the only time is the start of this film where he's got lots of pictures of pamela stevenson okay and her yeah. cleavage yeah well that that's sort of that and even then perry olsen picked holes in the one of vera because he mm. said he looked fuzzy Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and then it gets a bit stalkery and weird, but um, yeah. although not as weird as like when Mark McClure turns up in Supergirl, and he's oh, yeah. he's clearly, you know, the character's clearly in his early thirties, but he's hanging out with sort of sixteen-year-old Lana Lang, <laughs> uh, or Lana, uh, not Lana Lang, the uh, the sister of Lois Lane. Was it, what was her yeah. name? La- Lara? No, that was Supergirl. I saw it recently. Oh, as well. um, oh. Miss Lane, we call her Miss Lane. Yeah, yeah. but. <laughs> She's like reveling in her 16 year oldness, and he's like, Yeah, he's not 16 anymore. Yeah, he's on some sort of register. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different from. Although they share a lot of connections, those, you know, Super, uh, Superman 3 and Supergirl. Um, and what I, I think what I do like particularly about Superman 3 is it's, it's not, as I say before, it's not setting it up, it's just having its laughs. And um, mm. yeah, I, I sort of respect it a lot for that. And I, I, touching on what you said earlier about how this film doesn't, you know, how a lot of films now they, they lead into another in a franchise or spin offs and things mm-hmm. like that. And this one was originally supposed to spin off into Supergirl. Mm. Whereas the two, while Supergirl came out, I think the year after this or maybe mm-hmm. two. Yeah, one year. Yeah, they're, they're not particularly linked. There's no, oh, well, we'll see her in Supergirl. They, they, mm. that, that was removed. I think that was reading the. I've read something in a IMDb, I think, suggesting that that was actually going to happen, that they were going to feed this into Supergirl somehow, and then the two would become intertwined. But, you know, having watched... I watched Supergirl maybe a couple of years ago, and the only connection to that was, again, Jimmy Olsen in saying that Superman couldn't appear because he's on some sort of intergalactic peace mission or something. Right. Yes, Okay. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's on a photo or two in the... um in the girl's dormitory um, yeah I think there was a big plan to have Christopher Reeve and Supergirl but I don't know maybe he read the script or no no um, <laughs> they, possibly uh, it would have jarred because it's a bit like having Sean Connery turn up in you know Roger Moore's Roger Moore's first Bond film it's like why would you do that because it's, it's not that story it's not that uh, beat anymore but even so I mean this 
you know, the, even the fire scene, for example, this, you know, Jimmy has to be rescued. He's almost like the damsel in distress again. Mm. Um, you know, from the first one, we had to get picked up from the Hoover Dam. This one, he gets picked up out of the fire. And, um, and Superman's very clever way of, because again, it just happens, the fire engines run out of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, there happens to be a lake nearby. And I wonder, like, I mean, who just coming up with the idea of freezing the top of a lake and lifting it? And I just wrote in here, I'm no scientist, but surely if you drop that much ice over a fire, it would just drop and probably crush a lot of people. Yeah, and it's like, how did he sort of get the exact cut of the, you know, the dimensions, <laughs> uh, the sort of blueprint map of the uh, power plant? Yeah, I'll give him that, but... Yeah. It gave it, him a, it was a great moment because I remember when the film because the film was actually shown very early on ITV. It came out, I want to say September '85, which is barely two years after its UK release, and that was quite rare for UK TV at the time quick, to be so quick. Um, and I, I say in the book actually, I remember I, it was, we did uh, games at school, and it was the first time we were introduced to football, and I hated it. And it was the first lesson of the day, and I remember thinking. Just get through this. Superman 3 is on telly tonight. Just get through this. Just get through this. And every time I think of Superman 3, I also think of those getting through the day. Uh, and yeah, it was on early. It, was, it had a lot early release. Um, but they always showed that clip of him freezing the lake and then picking it up. That was always their sort of trailer ad break go-to moment. As an iconic-ish part, you know, this is one of the things where it shows off early, you know, don't forget, you know, he's got superpowers. He doesn't just fly. He does other things too. Yeah, but, uh, and also it does give him a reason because it's linked to how he spoiler how he uh, topples the supercomputer at the end. He, he sort of goes back and calls a favor and gets one of the um, the vials of the chemicals. So there yeah. is a slight reason. It's not just a total drop in. But again, it's a good. I like it. I, lo- I love when all those people go down the chimney shoot. I always. Yeah. Thought, oh, I want to do that. I want. Is that really <laughs> possible? Can we do that? Probably, but I can't imagine the inside of that smokestack is going to be particularly clean. No, especially but you will, in early eighties. But Shade Rimmer will greet you at the end of it, so you know yes. you've got to sort of uh, work these things out. I mean, I suppose over the course of the first three films, he went from naval officer to NASA engineer to local sheriff. I mean, he's, he'd be lucky if he's cleaning toilets by Superman Four. Well, he was just embarrassed for he. <laughs> <laughs> He just played embarrassed city yes. dweller on the left, yeah. Dedicated public servant. Yeah, yeah, no, no a great guy, <laughs> uh, One thing I, I skipped over was um, earlier on, because Gus Gorman's got a job at Websco, uh, Ross Webster's company, and mm. he's a low-level data processor. I guess it, these are in the days when not many people had computers, so you could just do any old nonsense on them and no one would think. Whereas you get now, the sort of people go into it and go, no, 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 that's not what he did. But mm. this is where he and his colleague, call him Clive Exposition, explain mm. the whole s- scenario around the half cent scheme, mm. which, mm. you know, not just set up how he gets into Webster's pockets here, it also sets up a whole other film called Office Space. The- okay. Have you seen that? Right. No. Um, Office but, Space? Yeah, Office Space. It's, um, you know, Mike Judge did Beavis and Butthead and... Um, he wrote this okay. film. I think it was late. Must have been late nineties because Jennifer Aniston was in it. And um, the right, guy, no, I don't know that one. Yeah, the guy in that he came up with a way. He he didn't want to be made redundant, so he came up with his way of scamming his firm by mm. using the Richard Pryor half cent scheme. This sounds familiar. Yeah, they did in Superman three. Oh, I should 3. know this. No, I, I didn't know that. All I <laughs> do know is we. It's first two Superman films. We have 
you know, if they rob a bank, it's with glass cutters and <laughs> sort of striped burglar suits. And then suddenly we're just, digi- you know, we're just transferring funds, which is never going to make for good cinema. And, and you're right, they try and over-explain it. And when the, later on, when uh, Richard Pryor and Gavin O'Hurlihy drunkenly sort of break in and they've got their big sort of Dallas hats on and it's all a bit weird and <laughs> Giorgio Moroder's country and western music it's oh, like God. okay yes what's going on here but uh and also Gavino Hurley's repeating his character in uh, Never Say Never Again which is the same year as well where he plays a sort of unwitting drunken military stooge who just gets used by the villain to uh, get access to things but yeah it's they, they, they have to explain it a lot but that's interesting that the whole uh, template for that was used in another film i like that yeah i, I can't remember how much money they made out of this but i think gus gorman made eighty five thousand dollars um and then when the old this is, leads up to the when the whole when the old bookkeeper notices it and brings it to ross webster and just the classic lie says, He'll keep on quietly taking the bread from our mouths. He'll keep a low profile. And he won't do a thing to call attention to himself. Unless, of course, he is a complete and utter moron. Richard Pryor mm. turns up in a brand new red Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's very Mankiewicz as well. That that slight sort of irony and that that Lex Luthor world. I'm presuming they planned on having Hackman back, and the script was Probably. pretty Luthered up. We just changed the name at the last instance. But I like Robert Vaughn in it. I, he's yeah. got this sort of Aspen louche slight sort of camp money man. That's you know with his zip up anoraks. I like what he does in that one. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed that, and um, and this is where we introduced properly to his sister, who um, the very fearsome. I say when I was watching this as a young boy, I think her and how should I put it later, her alter ego were probably the scariest things yes. in my life at the moment at that time. Right, seriously, I thank you, thank you. I I mentioned it in the book. I thought I was the only one. I've heard a couple of people say it, but <laughs> yeah, later on when Annie Ross gets robotomized. Oh, I don't know why. Because you look at it, it's really silly. It's mm. stupidly done, but it scared. It just got literally got under my skin the idea of that. And I've still got a problem with like bits of metal being on my skin or having a, <laughs> holding a wire. No, I'm not joking. And contact lenses as well. I, I, I could tell she was wearing sort of robotic contact lenses, and that just creeped me out as well. I, I, I'm, I don't need glasses, fortunately, but contact lenses. I always just think of her and all of that and those sort of superman villains it's it's strange what sears onto your mind and also i bet you've got a fear of combine harvesters as well well i've got certainly a healthy respect for them after this i mean growing up in an estate in north london i I never came across too many okay well uh, i grew up in i wouldn't say leafy surrey although we had some leaves but there was (laughs) barley fields and they would they would leave the combine harvesters there overnight and come back right. in the morning and i was just like this is what if it just starts moving what if i'm walking to school and the whole <laughs> no one will know for years because there's no one around um but yeah sort of eating pate on a picnic blanket in a cornfield don't do it don't do it yeah you need to be careful in case you accidentally fall on a rock and yeah, yeah. and, and not Su- superman won't be there <laughs> yeah yeah and, and end up having a horrible bowl cut and being called Ricky but that's um, oh. maybe we'll get to that in a minute yes I did wonder as a slight aside I, I had to google um, Annie Ross who, who played Vera mm. and it turned out she's a really 
eclectic sort of CV as a, and she was really known yeah. as a jazz, a jazz singer, and I had no I, idea. Yeah, she still is. I don't know if she's still with us. I have a feeling. She I think is. she is. Yeah, I think um, I, I looked. Uh, so yesterday, anyway, she was um, eighty nine in the summer. Yeah, no, she. Yeah, she's definitely a big jazz cabaret sort mm. of piano bar stalwart in America. Yeah, I mean, this was almost a detour for her, but you know, good casting, cl- clever casting. Yeah, I mean, she she was terrifying, and and if that's what they were going for, it bloody worked. Mm, mm. Mm. And she's also terrified when she's just breaking everyone's balls, including her own, you know, <laughs> and sort of getting all. She's sort of out Faye Dunaway's the sort kind mid eighties films with her sort of bitchiness, and she's seriously wearing the uh, wearing the the uh, sort kind suit in that film. <laughs> yeah. And so we have the the brief meeting between Gus and and Ross Webster, and uh, Webster's outlining his plot to take over the world's coffee crop by uh, basically decimating Colombia. Yeah, was it trying to have a green message? I don't know because they do all that stuff with the uh, the, yeah the Colombia and that that couple that have won the Daily Planet competition just forever keep turning up at various wind machine sets on the back lot of Pinewood. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean I mean skipping over that whole part, essentially engineers. Richard Pryor going to Smallville, getting Brad pissed, and then mm. doing, I suppose, what people in the 80s thought computers would do, and you had things like uh, cash machines spewing out notes to yeah. the, the sheriff from the second film, because again, they like to keep people involved. Streetlights um, beating each other up, I just remembered oh. the, that whole, the streetlights sort of arguing with each other, and yeah... I always hope because I, I mean, my eldest daughter, she's she's three and a half, and you know, busy trying to, to educate her about you know, wait for the green man and everything. And there's always that little <laughs> fraction in the back of my head going, but what if the green man gets up and beats up the red man? Yeah, what if the red man's wearing a green man's outfit? <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. like, hang on, these are important questions. What's Ross Webster's quietly going to destroy humanity, <laughs> but just not yet? Marginal gains. Um, yeah. And one point I, d- I did mention to we've talked about this in the second one I don't know how it came up um, and a, a very you know obviously looking back now it's it's awful but the, the man basically assaulting his wife with a grapefruit because she, he thinks she overspent at Bloomingdale's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, is that looks horrible now there's also that horrible age gap as well or there's the oh, height yeah. gap there's, there's um, that comedian with the moustache you can see him now and he's got this sort of beautiful blonde squeaky wife um, yeah. oh it's Sandra Dickinson of course it is it's, P- it's yeah. Peter Davidson's then wife yeah uh, who, who crops up in Supergirl so they again still kind of like to get their money's worth it's like <laughs> can you just pop across the hedge and go onto the set of Supergirl and film a scene while you're here thanks which is actually I joke but that is actually what they did not for Superman 3 and Supergirl but they they would double up films there's mm. there's massive contractual changes in actors law and contractual law in Hollywood Okay. Because of what the Sulkines often <laughs> tried to get away with, allegedly. Uh, yeah, including signing up people for... That's a really long shoot. And then, oh, uh, this is actually two films. We're only paying you for one. Yeah. Um, but those little things like that, that they, um, they paved their way for, put it that way. I mean, one thing that I, I know you talked about it briefly on uh, from Taylor's We Love episode you were on recently, where, because this a lot of this film was set... Uh, filmed at Pinewood mm. at around the same time that Octopus was being filmed, and there was that that photo that comes up quite often of Superman in the circus, or well, Christopher Reeve on set in the circus at the end of Octopus with Roger Moore in full clown gear. Mm. 
it's quite remarkable to see Superman and James Bond together. But I guess you know because the, the supercomputer set of this was filmed. That was that on the 007 stage. That was the 007 stage. Yeah. I, I'm sure it was. But also, so was the Octopussy Circus tent. So maybe there was a there was perhaps an early crossover of productions. Because yeah. um, all I do know from what people have said is there was very few big productions at Pinewood around those years so you know Octopussy and Superman 3 to a degree had carte blanche on the set now you Mm. there's not enough room to sort of swing a Millennium Falcon and an Aston Martin always when I see that photo always makes you know they were the those two Superman James Bond and I suppose Star Wars were the sort of big three things in my life as a kid anyway so seeing oh, yeah. some crossover i guess the closest we have now is a daniel craig cameo as a stormtrooper yes that's true um there's i think of others now there's loads of crossovers but yeah and also those those three foot that that's good you know star wars bond and superman those three films they were they were really based and rooted in that home county's British studio system as well, whether it was Elstree or Pinewood, uh, bits of Shepparton as well. Um, and they, I don't know, they, they economically used what they had. So there's so much Britishness or Calgaryness in um, Superman <laughs> 3. And uh, Supergirl, the Supergirl sets as well were, were left at Pinewood for ages. And I think, but I think I saw recently that the, the road from that Midvale set in Supergirl that they built on the back lot just uh, behind the Bond stage um, became the asphalt on the roads of Gotham in Batman. Because they thought, <laughs> Let's just leave it here. We don't, you know, then that partly helped the first uh, first Batman film get based at Pinewood because they saw the Supergirl road and thought, well, ah, we've already got a street here, so we just take you know build a different set. And I love mm. all that artifice and that. And I actually think there are some very great books. Gareth Owen's done uh, Pinewood Story, and um, there's a few done in the 80s. But I, I feel there's a really good documentary series, or I want there to be, looking at those home county studios and their real big impacts that that those Hollywood films brought. You know, whether it was Bond, Superman, or Star Wars. Classic example is uh, the sets of Carry On. Oh, sorry, the, the sets of Cleopatra in the early 60s were abandoned at Pinewood because it was the temperatures were just too cold for the production to carry on. So then suddenly the carry-on team jump in and they have all these amazing sort of technicolored expansive sets because they were just left behind. And if, if, you walk, if you're lucky enough to walk around Pinewood, you do see random things. <laughs> I, I've seen some things recently which I'm not going to... They're actually not been in a film yet, although at Christmas they might be. And you're like, they've just left that there. And, <laughs> and you do see sort of heads of things and Sphinx's feet that are actually wow. made of polystyrene. It does slightly <laughs> have that Roger Rabbit studio feel to it, which is what it should have. Uh, the magic of Hollywood. Mm, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So in this, we've had uh, so Columbia's all sorts of Superman's Save Columbia. We've had the whole scene where uh, Gus Gorman explains it using a cape made mm-hmm. out of a tablecloth and full sort of skis off the side of a building they come up with a plan to basically synthesize kryptonite to kill mm. superman as mm. you do but this was something that i, I guess also hark back to comics because uh, apparently this is was it a red kryptonite i think it was where there's an alternate version that does different things to superman rather than just hurt him oh okay i don't know a huge amount of, but it looks green and when they give it to Superman, he doesn't seem... I mean, obviously, they're expecting him to pass out and die, but mm. you'd think after the first film, Superman would look at what is clearly kryptonite and go, no thanks. And it's that weird, odd moment of where 
there's suddenly it's like a press conference panel with super, with Clark Kent's new girlfriend and her son, and they're all sort of on the same panel. I know it's his the boy's birthday, mm. um, but I'm like, why is he sort of sat there being? Sh- and then you get that shot of uh, of Vera Annie Ross turning up in her sort of <laughs> butch fatigues, and it's sort of. It does feel like another film. It feels like Stir Crazy or something yeah. at, at that point, seeing sort of uh, seeing Gus Gorman in his army fatigues. I wonder if he did some sort of stand-up gig while he was there, although there are probably too many kids in the crowd as well. Oh, God, could you, <laughs> could you imagine? His, oh, he's just going to uh, have some various narcotics and uh, address the, the, the crowds. Yeah. Oh, God, could you imagine? Yeah. yeah. Although he does a great job. I do like Richard Pryor. Um, yeah. and I, I once met his daughter, or one of his daughters, Rain Pryor, who's a great keeper of her father's legacy, but she's got a lot oh. of interesting uh, tales to tell herself. And she was looking at me, and her eyes... Are her dad's eyes, obviously, but she's yeah. she's she's got the dad's eyes, and I'm like, oh my god, Richard Pryor's eyes are looking at me right now. <laughs> and it was a strange moment, um, and all I could think of was Superman three. You know, I've been to the Grand Canyon, and my partner is a science teacher and was marveling at the geology and the expanse <laughs> of the Grand Canyon, and I'm just seriously, all I'm thinking of is Richard Pryor on the back of a donkey and those. Cool, <laughs> they're still quite cool. Those those sort of balloons that they yeah. send down on. That's all that was in my head. Yeah, we went there on a honeymoon, and you kind of think like, eh, it's not quite the same. A helicopter, the yeah, air, but I, I want a little balloon and a donkey. How do you get yeah. down to the bottom? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, can we, can, is that a thing? They, no, I mean, you see jetpacks and they come up in other films, but you've never quite seen that sort of balloon seat thing. Um, probably because they they were just a set, yeah. a, a prop designed at Pinewood. So after Superman's been given the kryptonite-ish, um, goes back to Lana's house and starts getting a bit woozy. And this mm. is the scene that I kind of look back and think, Jesus, if this were an 18 film, this would have got really weird. She gets a phone call telling her about the truck hanging off the bridge and when he says no rush and gets very uh, familiar. Oh, yes, he does get a bit sort of 80s sitcom, a, a bit... Well, it's more, it's more than... Yeah, it's more than just a little horny he's yeah you're right yeah yeah and then he obviously does all the peanut flicking in the bar a bit yeah. later um but which is really a... like sort of hitting on the single mother sort of saying oh it's not often you get a good looking girl like you all alone like, yeah <laughs> yeah and already the suit's starting to go gray and yeah. he, he must be going ill because they've added makeup under his eyes he's yes. getting a bit tired because that's that's sort of what passed as villainy in the 80s just looking a bit tired and a tiny bit of stubble yeah, but Reeve does great with that, and I'm, I'm sh- I don't want to mm. jump the uh, the Webster gun here just yet. But he, later on, you know that whole scrap heap sequence, and when he's in the bar as well, Reeve never gets held up as a, one of the world's greatest actors. Maybe sadly we didn't get to see him stretch his wings a bit or his cape even. But he's really good. It's possibly his best performance in Superman three as well. I'm just sort because of, he's he's doing more with the character because. Something that emerges in Superman 3 is also Christopher Reeve's own passion and dedication to the role. Something he tried to take forward in Superman 4 and potential Superman 5 where he he wanted more ownership and maybe to direct and really come up with the stories and explore the character. But sadly, as he wanted to push forward, the budgets went backwards to £4.90 and sort of (laughs) 1930s technology. You know, film technology. I mean, I, I guess this is the thing where you know he he became more confident as Superman, and you know mm. there were stories about this. They were trying to recast him because he didn't want to do it initially, mm. and you kind of think like you know for for a generation of people growing up, he is Superman, mm-hmm. Mm. 
um, and t- to some extent probably still is to a lot of people. Mm. And yet, as you say, it just kind of fell at the wrong time because as as thinking, you know, because in this film he's essentially playing three parts, not just two. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, bad, true, bad, because yeah. um, this is where sort of bad Superman straightens the Tower of Pisa, mm-hmm. pisses off Ron Jeremy, um, blows out the Olympic torch, and it's just things like that where. You know, that looks like if you're Superman and you're playing this sort of real American hero type person, you can suddenly have a bit of fun mm, mm. and get pissed in the middle of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Reeves' skills playing Clark Kent, I mean, any Superman film for me, it's how that actor plays Clark Kent is mm. whether it gets sold to me as a Superman fan. Uh, and I think Cavill just about got there, although he didn't seem to be allowed to be Daily Planet Clark Kent that much. But how he, it's, it was a really hard role, that Clark Kent role. And he brought, you know, famously brought that slight sort of Cary Grant bringing up baby 30s sense of slapstick and comedy and leading man sort of romance-ness. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of that in Superman 3. And I do, I, I like his Clark in that film. He also, I'm going to go there, he's he's a really hot Clark Kent in Superman 3 and maybe it's hmm. maybe it's the jumper which I really wanted I still <laughs> want one of those Smallville jumpers but I'll I'll jauntily put it across my um, shoulders and tie it in a, in a sort of 80s Simon Le Bon way yeah because I mean even when he's Superman bad Superman and he's got the stubble and, and the sort of burgundy cape and everything yeah. like that he you know you can see why there was a a push a few years ago I think for, for John Hamm to play if they did a sort of rehash you know he looked very Don Draper mm. in that, you know the hair was still slick but he looked like you know the drink during the day and that sort of mm-hmm. you know he looked like he'd probably slap you then kiss you or vice versa mm, mm. and I, I I think it's a shame Reeve left us so soon um, because well he, he you know his he, he stayed on for a bit but that injury in 95 96 was so horrific um uh, even well, i was about 20 then but i remember thinking that was a real blow to my childhood hearing superman's is no longer able to be physically super anymore but had that not happened i do wonder if we may have had and i'm serious here sort of 95 96 we may have, we may have had superman 5 and not in a tacky you know uh not that kevin uh, singer would have done it tackily but I know that there was that Nicolas Cage oh, that, yes. that whole project and process had to be looked at and go through but I just wonder if we may have had an older you know he, Christopher Reeve would have come back um, and it could have been Superman Returns I often look at that film and wonder because it's got so much Christopher Reeve DNA in it the uh, the first Brian Singer movie I just wonder we could have had more of him but I suppose it's you know what we do have three and a half films maybe <laughs> um, yeah is is a good legacy yeah and uh, perhaps one you know many people's high point of this film and certainly mine and I think the the part that probably stands out the best is the fight between Superman and Clark Kent yeah. which to just to say sounds odd but when you see it it, it seems to make sense and the more you kind of think about it. And I know that initially this film was actually meant to be called Superman vs. Superman. Mm. And yet, other than a couple of tiny bits where, you know, it looks a bit awkward how they've made it. I mean, it's it's shot particularly well. Mm-hmm. They've kind of worked with what they've got really well. And it's just, this is by far my favourite part of the film. And it's essentially two superheroes going at it in a junkyard. Yeah, it's a great sequence. It's beautifully realised, and it was after the, I think they recreated or built that whole junkyard at Pinewood. So then they mm. had 
proper control. It wasn't like they had it for a day or two. They really structured that because it was it's a it was a big stunt and effect scene, particularly the stunts. If you're you're not only you've not just got Christopher Reeve playing two Supermans, you've got his stunt double playing into the mix as well. And it's very there's a lot of off the shoulder work. And that great moment where he just finally rips open the white shirt and we're back, he's back. It's a great beat and it's as, I think that's as important to the Christopher Reeves Superman movies as catching that helicopter in 78. And did you notice um, there was a Blade Runner poster in the background? No. Of the, uh, so you could tell obviously when they'd, when they'd made it. But, um, yeah, when the part was... Clark Kent's throwing the tires okay. at Superman. Right. There's a very large Blade Runner poster just behind him. Nice, nice. I remember there was a Psych- Psycho 2 reference in Supergirl she, when she's doing her, oh, I can fly, and she's flying across all the city-scapes at night. Uh, there's a drive-in movie theatre playing Psycho 2. Oh, really? Uh, um, <laughs> naturally, yeah. Of course. I mean, those films go together very well. But um... Yeah, of course. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that part was brilliant. And, um, you know, the fact that when as you say when when Clark opens his shirt it is the proper Superman costume you know mm. you know it's, it's red and blue not burgundy and, and whatever mm. Um, mm. and his first act is to fly back to the tanker that he put a big hole in and blow all the oil back in because you because you can do that with oil yeah, I love that yes or and you I just the get the editors you... to crank it back and just reverse yeah. the film and use the heat ray that I wouldn't put near oil. Um, mm. And I wonder what he did to all the animals and fish that he almost certainly murdered. Mm. And did you notice in Aquaman, they kind I, of... I ec- haven't seen it. You haven't seen Aquaman? No. That's fine. You're, you may have dodged a uh, decent oh, okay. bullet there. It's a... I call it Splash Gordon. It's kind when it's <laughs> when it's camp and ridiculous, it's brilliant. But it's, it's over-earnest, like so many... Blooming uh, superhero movies are. It just I'll doesn't take the camp but Yeah, but they have this whole sequence. I think it's set in Italy or uh, sort of on the Med Coast, and uh, you know some bad guys are letting rip, and tourists are in a medieval old cliffside town, and old sculptures are collapsing, and there's children, and it's real. You can see there's some Superman three DNA in Aquaman. I I think I will defend that. Okay. Uh, that sort of sense of Pisa and Italy, and, um, and needing to rescue children you know, in uh, Italian towns. Yeah, I will stand by Superman three okay. little bits of you've, it in Aquaman. You've very much sold that to me. <laughs> you don't need to see Aquaman because it is. It will be four and a half days out of your life. Um, mm. Although, see it for the weird Nicole Kidman de-aging thing they do they, they oh they've de-aged her as well yeah and hmm. she's only her age in one scene so I'm like why don't you just get a younger actress yeah. and then make her look older for one scene rather than Ugh. have this de-aging um, Nicole Kidman also the, uh, the Kiwi actor that she plays opposite who was in Attack of the Clones I can't I want to say his name so I'll get it wrong but he's it oh yeah we'll see the bloke who played Boba uh, yeah, Django Bob, Fett yeah, yeah that's, that's him and he's okay. the father and She's the mother of Aquaman. Um, anyway, I've gone off on a uh, Nordic tangent there. It, it's all linked. It's DC somewhere. So. It is DC, yeah. Um, and that's what I loved about the Joker. Sorry to put a tangent on a tangent, but I loved to no. see how Joker with Wacken Phoenix, they just reclaimed the, the, the cinema and superhero in one film. They, they took it back from Marvel. I know Marvel have become this multi-trillion pound behemoth of, of franchise cinema. And fair play to them. I'm not its biggest fan 
but fair play to them. But I loved how Joker just reclaimed that crown or a big chunk of it. Um, because, yes, you know, Batman 89, Superman 78, Superman 83, they were all DC. You know, Marvel couldn't get a look in. So I was really glad that Joker slightly puffed up the uh, DC feathers and, you know, said, we're, we're a thing too. <laughs> Are you saying that there's scope somewhere for a Luther film or something like that? Mm. Oh, I, I just suddenly saw some bath time Luther film about a Luther like a Pixar <laughs> film. No, um, uh, do you know what? If you cast it right and if it's written right mm. and it's got the right director and the right mind to sort of oversee it, then yes, why not? Mm. I don't need it to perhaps be in this sort of Gotham TV Titan era. I don't think it needs to work in that. But yes, why not? But casting Lex Luthor is notoriously hard. You know, they lucked out with Hackman. Yeah. And it's never every time since for me anyway, it's always been yeah, he's not Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah he's he's not Hackman. And then when we got Jesse Eisenberg, I just find him a bit he's doing that same thing he did in social network. He's pouring scorn on the audience. He's not just pouring scorn on Metropolis, he's pouring scorn on us. And I I kind of didn't like it for that. But yeah, I give me a Luther film. Yeah. Or no, let's do a Vera film. A Vera and Ross Webster. Perhaps just doing a, I don't know, a late sixties road trip with, <laughs> um, just end up at Woodstock and he sees a computer manual and gets an idea. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah maybe. And as long as you know that they go to a festival and he has to reuse the same pair of socks that he so famously yes. scorned on earlier. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, right. So this is the the sort of main battle part because Gus Gorman has come up with this supercomputer that can defend itself and everything else. And I mean, in 2019, we're we're still struggling with those with all the antivirus crap on my laptop. But this one, you know, they're they're in there. They've got this, and this is the part you were talking about earlier. It's a computer with flashing lights, but it's got missiles and rockets. It's not just got rockets. It's got Atari rockets. Oh yes. The whole. It's it's not. I love how they actually. I mean, Atari actually did design all the animation the computer animation maybe they did because no one else could do it at that time but i i love all that gameplay i know it's ridiculous but we won't just fire a rocket at superman we're going to show it in a slightly pixely i'm not a uh, computer game kid but yeah i I like it for that i'd be interested to see because i read somewhere that apparently it looked too lifelike so they had to make it look more cartoony but i mean i wonder what a 1983 lifelike computer game would look like well there's a real obsession with computers in 80s movie i mean 83 particularly and it was the era of course but war games mm. never say never again has the same yeah. sort of bond you know bond and superman used to fight their villains physically now we're going to sit down and play a <laughs> we're going to play a game of pong uh, in a great ballroom uh, never say never again does that as well uh, yeah. and it's it's hard computers and computer gameplay just doesn't translate to cinema i remember that film the net in 95 yeah. with um, jeremy northam and sergeant bullock and i it's just like oh god just kidnap her kill her just <laughs> get it over with just wipe out her hard drive or something just are we are, there's probably great exceptions to the rules but i'm just but i'm struggling to think yeah superman 3 definitely hit that how do we make computers and transferring funds cinematically interesting yeah i know we'll 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 make it look physical by having streetlights beat each other up that's how it that's how we get the audience to work it out or we'll have a computer that decides that the only way to beat superman is to trap him in a balloon and then somehow work out kryptonite and shoot it to him in the form of a green light yeah or, or trap him in this sort of condom we found down the canal <laughs> it's like what is that that's yeah ma- no, well, that's d- dirty looking yeah. but that played to one of my fears as well because that 
you know, I think we all have a fear of suffocation. I'm sure we do. But that whole idea of plastic, because we always told as kids, don't no, don't, <laughs> don't put that plastic bag on your head, you'll die. And then you suddenly see Superman, he's sort of surrounded in condom cling wrap. Um, we, and then it just disappears, doesn't it? it just He just sort of it yeah. pings away, drops to the ground. And bear, bear in mind, he can breathe in space. I don't know why he can't, not, not, not that he'd want to stay in the balloon, but still, it's um, still weird why that would be of, of such difficulty other than a minor inconvenience. Mm, mm. But it's I mean, it's a good computer though because it's it has that they sort of try and frame it as like the xenomorph in Alien, where it's it's got acid for blood yeah. and in its system and it's just a little bit the internal mechanisms are a bit of a mystery and I I think it works you know yeah. in terms of the the physical menace at the end it's just getting us to be worrying too much during is a different thing. And I guess it, it kind of misjudged how things go because in that way uh, a supercomputer makes means it's bigger, whereas nowadays, you know, things must be smaller and fit into your pocket or onto a phone. Probably be an app, mm. an app now. But. Yeah, I can see, I mean, yeah, yeah Ross, I, I don't know why they've not brought Ross Webster back. I presume he wasn't particularly comic book canon and was more of a sort of clucked from a recent notion um but i like ross webster and yes he, he could come back and have an app <laughs> yeah. there could be some bank transfer app he's yeah he's 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 basically in charge of paypal That's what it should be. <laughs> yeah they get the guy to facebook to do him or something like that mm, mm, absolutely <laughs> um so gus gets an attack of conscience and seeing superman struggling he takes the screw out of the computer uh, screw or swallows it which made me think that you can swallow a screw um mm-hmm. and then takes an axe to the computer as well which um it, that seems to work and then the computer shoots him at a wall not before that bite biting the thumb thing that oh Enterprise does as well it's like it'll, it all goes a bit like a tom and jerry cartoon yeah. which is, again that's richard lester's sense of physical slapstick two middle-aged men going at it who aren't exactly sort of titans of bodybuilding arg- arguing over a little screw well, yeah, Napoleon Solo and Kal-El <laughs> been reduced to this. Yes, but as um, Webster and Lorelei escape from the computer, this is the, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that bit. <laughs> the, the bit where she just gets robotomized. I don't know if that's a word, but I feel it should be. Yes, yeah, yeah, and she gets pulled back in, and it's the wires as well. Oh, it's, the eye. Like when, oh. when you see those guys... Um, it feels really old-fashioned, but you still see those little phone boxes that, that the BT engineers are fixing in the street. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's just a box of wires. I don't know, I don't know how they know what they're doing. But that all oh, I always look at them and go, oh, it's like I don't know what it's like wires that they become veins and it's oh. ugh. yeah I know. And the silver, even though it looked like it's silver paint, it it wasn't. It was and it's the little patches of metal and oh and, and, and I think it's because they create. She's a bitch of a character beforehand yeah as well and they just they just literally sort of as the silver platter yeah they, they cover her in silver um yeah oh yeah and then she, they, she can shoot stuff from her fingers and glare at her brother and sort of make him go weird oh, yeah geez. yeah and it's there's a sort of bride of frankenstein cinematic oh. moment with her hair's going a bit was it, uh, a, a wig and, uh, that wig and she's played as a butch lesbian as well. They, 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 yeah. they keep it subtle. It does, they don't need to go there. But she's played as this spinster sister who's got a little bit of life bitterness about her. And I think Annie Ross pitches that really well. And that, that sort of tension between her and Pamela Stevenson as the very intelligent woman. And of course, she's now Dr. Pamela Stevenson in real life, yeah. but um, who 
pretends to be ditzy and that sort of beef that goes on throughout the film kind of it's weird though it's odd that i, I get why she's doing it, it wasn't actually till adulthood i really because i thought is she, when i saw the film i just assumed she was like this sort of dumb tinkerbell blonde and the, the joy is she's not she's just playing that but i'm not sure always so sure the film gets that over so well but i love when she's fighting with I don't know, uh, Vera or Anne Widdicombe's, you know, <laughs> Anne Widdicombe Webster. Um, and, they have that. and they both know what's going on as well. They're both more intelligent and ahead of Robert Vaughan in the film. Yeah. I like that as well. They're both using him like a puppet. He doesn't know. He, he doesn't need to know. He's, he's a sort of nearly Trump-esque idiot <laughs> that doesn't understand how strong women tick. I suppose to say he's like Trump is quite accurate because all he's initially interested in is exploiting things for money whether it's the price of coffee or oil mm. you know it is all about making money um yeah. and i'm sure if he had a twitter account it would be full of random shit as well oh my god i'm seeing a fake ross webster <laughs> probably is account let ross ross webster for the 46th president we can, we can do this we can do this president webster has a nice ring to it as well god it, it yeah or actually president luther i'm sure mm. the the uh, comic books and various novels have done, gone there and done that, yeah. but that's, that could be an angle. One thing I did notice, because um, Superman, as you said, he's gone back to the chemical plant, got one of those cans of acid. The computer does its whole, oh, it's just a can of acid, he's fine. Um, which is essentially, and I always thought it was just tomato ketchup squirting on the walls. The computer collapses because this acid somehow melts everything, and we do see Vera falling into the hole, but she's mm. just Vera again. Her hair is back to normal. She's not silver or covered in anything. It's almost like the computer falls apart, so everything just drops off her and she reverts back to normal. It's um, well, it's like they've they've pressed the factory default button on her system and she's <laughs> gone back. You think they could have had her just like with half her face, almost like Phantom of the Opera, or just one bit of metal still stuck to her face? Just yeah. that would have like, oh, she's still got a bit of it in her system. Well, but, ooh. She sort of comes round and she's like sort of. Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk the next morning waking up in a puddle somewhere. Mm, yeah, yeah. And they have that weird ball thing as well oh, where yeah. they they get sort of pushed up against the polystyrene <laughs> cliff face um, and held up by a ball. And I think that documentary, because Saul Kinds did good behind-the-scenes documentaries. They, we, I slightly take the, the rise out of them, but they produce great pieces of pop culture. And one of the things they were savvy to was selling their products. You know, they were often at Cannes with you know, various hoardings and billboards but those behind the scenes documentaries were really good and I do remember that Superman 3 one so they quite go into a lot of depth about that supercomputer cave set hmm. if, I, if I remember rightly a lot of hydraulics like the thing with the ball that Pamela Stevenson was actually attached to a hydraulic sort of arm that mm. dragged her back and mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's the thing I always remember when... Because I'm not sure I'm, whether I had them on video or, or something, but I remember seeing these these ones when I was a kid and kind of thinking, why doesn't every film have this? But then... Yes. Yeah. In, in my head, they did. And they were off and on on a Saturday morning and it'd be when my mum wants to go shopping. <laughs> like, we're going to Tesco. And I, and I, yeah, I'd be like nine or ten, so that's slightly... I was an only child as well, so I would never be allowed just to stay at home and watch these things. So I'd, I'd record them. I, would, I wouldn't be that stupid. I would record them. And they did one for Supergirl, Krull, another yeah. 83 behemoth of cinema. Um, and they were... And Santa Claus the Movie did one as well. And there's... In fact, I... Right, this is... I'm going to put my Superman geek uh, sticker on my sleeve here and own up to this. <laughs> so I got married at Pinewood Studios. Okay, nice. 
and we well we had various tables to different movies that were shot in and around the room we were in not just on the lot mm. but the room we were in and we were doing family photos and the photographer found a little beautiful tree and yeah 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 all the family i'm like right i'm gonna and i said to him can we go down this bit and there's a beautiful hedged pathway pinewood the back of um, the mansion there and in one of those superman making of christopher reeve walks towards the camera going hi i'm christopher reeve you'll believe a man can fly and we'll show you how and i we got our photo off my family or my side of the family we got our photo in that very oh, same wow. walkway and in my head was christopher reeve <laughs> on that making of documentary walking towards us photographer lose, lost his nut because the lighting wasn't right and he was do we have to do it here and I'm like yes. Uh, yeah <laughs> yes we do yeah yeah we do because this is like the superman christopher reeve wow. and that's from a making of that's not even <laughs> from the film it has been used in countless films that that particular walkway um but yeah that's that's what's that's what's films like superman 3 do to us 80s kids we end up uh projecting them onto the rest of our lives yeah. and i've got no problem with that yeah i mean again going back to my honeymoon we went to new york as part of our trip and we walked past uh, the building that they did the oh, yeah. exterior of the daily planet and, and that it was just uh, just little things like that and my wife said why are we doing this i said i just want a photo um i did that yeah. we, we went on our 30th birthday and i remember we just got a new digital camera we weren't quite used to the how much you had to charge it <laughs> and we got there i went to take one photo and the camera died oh, uh, my husband said well we'll come back tomorrow i'm like no no no, no. there's we, we are going back to the hotel we're going to sit and have a coffee for two hours we're going to charge up that battery <laughs> and then we're getting a cab back to the daily planet yes. and he looked at me like what's the, why it's so important <laughs> it's superman did you go inside as well because you can go inside ish you have to look like you know what you're doing because the inside they also used in superman one particularly which is this beautiful art deco yes. 30s the, globe the big globe yeah the big globe and it's still there and i got multiple photos of myself sort of perched there and um <laughs> oh yeah the movies do that and, and new york's such a great metropolis city even now I was thinking, like, one thing, I, I, when we didn't mention that um, when Lorelei was on top of the Statue of Liberty, um, mm-hmm. sort of being the damsel, um, the Statue of Liberty features in all four films, all four re-films quite prominently. I mean, this one, a little bit. Obviously, in Superman 4, it becomes a character in itself of sorts, a bit like Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2, yeah. Yeah, yeah but um, again, at least it was nice to feature the Statue of Liberty in there as well, just to let you know that, you know, despite the fact that it was actually Calgary and all that. It was still the Statue of Liberty there. and She was on a four-film contract. She had to do it. <laughs> and in fact, I bet she turns up as well in Santa Claus the movie, which I will put money uses sort of off-cuts and, and unused flying I'm at night. Sure scenes because... I'm sure he goes past it in his sleigh with a the reindeer. Yeah, there's, there, he certainly does that, but the, the Twin Towers as well. Mm. They, I'm, I... I need to I always end up watching uh, Santa Claus the movie one Christmas morning on ITV 10 or whatever yeah. where it's always on After Hot and Fuzz. Always, yeah. yeah and it is actually a Superman movie it <laughs> is isn't it Santa Claus the movie it's, it's all the same sound effects and same sound effects yeah. the same plot the same sort of fish out of water city presented as menace uh, big billionaire ruthless man in mansion <sighs> not treating everyone around him horribly John oh god john yeah, lithgow make... oh. john lithgow would make a great lex Luthor. possibly moments past now but when i went to new york we we said we must go and do a show and we thought no we've missed there's no way we didn't book it we're not going to get anything for tonight mm. but we got tickets to see dirty rotten scoundrels which oh, was a musical wow. version of the film and it was brilliant it was so good but john lithgow was playing the michael kane part oh, really and we just 
saw a brilliant show wasn't that expensive and we walked out and I suddenly realized we're at the stage door and as we leave the theater John Lithgow walks out and all I can think of is BZ and he has that hi I think it should be Pew, so you would. I, I, love <laughs> I said to someone the other day, God, this is what Superman movies do to... Someone said, what colour is this? And I went, Puce? Yeah. And then everyone said, I don't know what Puce is. How do you even know what colour that is? And I went, Santa Claus the movie. It's oh, the lollipops. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, obs. Um, anyway, we've tangented more than a Superman 4 yes. <laughs> deleted scene here. Because I think all we had left was um, when Superman saves Gus, they fly to Batsy Power Station uh meet Larry Lamb. Superman steals a lump of coal that just happens to have a very perfectly presented diamond within. Acts as a referee for Gus trying to get a job. Yeah, the nine ten mile walk to a bus, which to be honest in Battersea sometimes is probably about right. Just mentioning Larry Lamb, yes. he was in Superman Move as well. Yeah, it was he was he's did, worked the... in the planet, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he was a friend of Christopher Reeves. They got to oh, know really? him a okay. little bit. Because I worked with him on something a while back, and yeah, he had he had everyone that's ever worked with Christopher Reeve had really good remembrances about him, saying there was something. It wasn't just because he was a movie star; and he was good looking and brilliantly built, and with those beautiful blue eyes. There was some sort of I met a taxi driver, and he said there was something almost godlike about him. That he had a sort of a quiet patience, you know, there was a sort of benevolence to him that you didn't always get from um, Hollywood stars yeah Larry Lamb sort of alluded to the same and it's nice you know just something like that you know again sort of taking you from one world to another you're going to Battersea and Larry Lamb just happens to be there and of course he's you know still very famous and popular today mm. yes yeah and then so Clark's got the diamond he goes to Lana's travel lodge because I, I guess she's expecting Superman to take her out for dinner L- mm. Clark offers to take her out as well but now I've wondered now, does that leave Ricky on his own in the hotel? Where's the babysitter? Yeah, well, I'd leave him. I'd yeah. just put him back in the cornfield <laughs> and hope the, the combine harvester gets him. Like, really annoying, and he's, I'm sure they dub his voice as well with a yeah. I'm sh- more annoying child. Surely it's his dad's turn to have him this weekend. Maybe he dresses yeah. as Superman and climbs up the Houses of Parliament. Well, that's a good point. Who's dad? It's not Brad. No, it's... Um, I remember thinking, is it, though? It was the like, king the, of the, the prom uh, who didn't pop up I think they said his name was Donald Cause, okay um, and then they because they were the king and queen of the prom mm. and then because Brad That's wasn't right, the king but I think he was tried to get the first dance offer or something like that he said but it would, it would have made more sense if Brad was the dad yeah uh, it would have also tied to Superman the movie a bit more as well um, and Superman 3 because he is a bit superfluous like that never say never again or he's just there to let someone bad get access to a computer and then do more bad things. Yeah. I mean, at least in Death Wish 3, you know, which is famously filmed in Brixton, he was um, the leader of the gang. God, what is it with South London? <laughs> <laughs> and that era of sort of Battersea... I, yeah. I blame John Wayne and Brannigan. It, it was a, a long Good Friday as well. Yeah, it was cheap. But um, yeah. So I, I'm not sure how... Because I guess they must be in Metropolis at this point. Uh, Brad turns up looking very dishevelled. So I don't know if, how did he know that Lara was staying. Uh, Lana was staying in that room, uh, but he gets chucked out very quickly. She probably put it on Facebook, and <laughs> yeah. it happens. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. He does. Yeah, he just crops up. I suppose he's, for... he must have a tap into all the one of those apps that tell you where all the single mothers are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even. No, move on. Quickly. No, no, no. They're very good apps. I think Superman's already used it. It's like there's people dying. No, let's just sit on the sofa and make out yeah. in a sort of 
happy days back to the future way yeah that was a uh, yeah vulnerable so. yeah yeah <laughs> um and then yeah we go to the planet lois is back looking very tanned uh lana turns mm. up and we get what almost should have been a cat fight um mm. where La- uh, lois is very jealous of the diamond ring hi lana hi clark oh lana Lois, say hello to Lana Lang, Smallville's newest gift at Metropolis. Oh, I'm glad to meet you, Miss Lang. I like your writing a lot. Thank you. I like your sparkler a lot. Oh, me too. I couldn't believe it when Clark gave it to me. Clark gave it to you? And then there's a new bingo machine, which is obviously a computer and goes horribly wrong. And uh, Superman fixes the Tower of Pisa, putting our Ron Jeremy friend probably out of a few lira again. Yeah, and his green screen. I love all this. It's like, <laughs> did anyone ever leave Pinewood on this film? It's like everyone's green screened. Yeah. It was Calgary or Pinewood. And, um, and yet it still looked a million times better than Superman 4. I know, I know. And that's sort of. Also, I mean, we, we're not here to pick apart Superman 4 because it's. Oh, no. It is what it is. I love that it's film. Got, it's got good intentions. <laughs> I, re- I remember walking out of it going, why was a Superman film 87 minutes? But it. To be fair, Superman 3 does this, but it just drops Lana Lang. Mm, yeah, yeah. It, it gets rid of her. Uh, and I get that they were shaking up a bit in a sort of Halloween 3 type way. We're just going to maybe have an... We're just going to put a few of the elements on the bench for this film. Um, but there's no Lana Lang. There's no Ricky. Um, probably all for good reasons. Um, do you imagine Richard Pryor turning up in of Superman course. 4? Richard Pryor should not be allowed in a film that doesn't have Gene Wilder in it. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, no, he's done. He did the few, Blue Collar's a great film, which doesn't have Gene Wilder in. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, you're very right on that. But um, but yeah. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, I'd say of the four, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the the two, the first two, sit in their own place in the pantheon of my all-time favourites. And yet, three and four are probably up in the top ten of the number like films I've seen the most, and yes. still will happily watch again. Yeah, it's a bit like if you, I don't know if you're that generation or you're that kind of 80s kid where you've got A New Hope or Return of the Jedi in front of you and you're going to watch one of them. I will go to Return of the Jedi. I will go possibly to Superman 3. One thing I like about Superman 3, it doesn't have, it it slightly has lost that production weight that the first two had. I don't mean the quality but the problems the film had. In Superman 3 they finally got the director that the Salkinds wanted. There's no and I think it has a it has a slight bounce to it, Superman three, that's not there in the first two films. Yeah, and I think as well, it was that you know, other than whatever the issues were in terms of Lois, you know, just by not having her there, which sounds awful, but you've got people, you've got new people who weren't involved, and, and really the only main lead, you know, was Christopher Reeve, and a mm. lot, you know, a couple of the supporting characters, and then a whole new idea and. I think it just seemed to benefit from that. That obviously with the fourth one, they certainly tried to go back to the the roots for better or worse. And I mean that that's a whole other podcast, of course. But I mean this one, it, even when it's I know Sky, they tend to show the four Christopher Reeve films in a row before I know. And I don't get a lot of time to to watch TV, especially during the day. But I quite hmm. happily, you know, oh Superman freeze on. It's halfway through. I might as well just watch the end. Yeah, and there's still that, you know, I, I hark back to September 85 when it was first on ITV, but 
that was an era which we don't really have anymore of mass watching and I still like to watch a bit of a Bond or a bit of a Star Wars or Superman on telly without it knowing they're going to be there knowing that it's live it's, well, yeah. it's, you know, and it's difficult in the 58 million channel era um, back in the day everyone was watching Superman 3 that Wednesday evening I, I remember it um, but I will always watch a bit and it's not quite the same on like Netflix where if you know other half's cooking dinner on a Sunday I'll just sit on the sofa and I'm like I'm just gonna put something on I might fall asleep to it but it's not the same when you put on like an old retro thing just to sort of have his wallpaper no and it's of course best when you dig out an old video and uh, it's still got the original adverts on as well which I so judiciously punched out to save the saving tape <laughs> space uh, was like getting Neil Armstrong back it was a precision <laughs> scientific like I was like a, a NASA technician sweating that I would punch the adverts out at the right time and now sometimes if you find a VHS tape and, you, <laughs> and more so if you've got the technology to play it those ads are just amazing and how they advertise those films I've, I mention it in the book and elsewhere there was those Christmas ads for ITV movies in the 80s yeah. was, and join Sigourney Weaver on board the Nostromo for the world premiere of Alien and, and watch Gene Hackman fight Christopher Reeve on the streets of Metropolis in Superman 2 uh, and they are out on YouTube and I will send them to you they're just it's a different era it's oh, completely so, so proper and seeing adverts for like rumbelows and radio rentals yeah. and I, it's it's a different era we're, we're now becoming the old Jarrells sat in the Krypton <laughs> bar here sort of yeah, reminiscing but again I remember you know, I found an old tape of Star Wars that, and yeah. I'm not sure how much I saw but I did fast forward to the adverts just out of curiosity and it had those like MFI and things like that it was just oh classic because they were always on at Christmas and bank holidays yeah. which all those big those big furniture warehouses would have their sales the next day <laughs> so yeah you're right it was always MFI Dixon's, um, Le- Dixon's Leather World or, or something <laughs> World of Leather yeah <laughs> And then a Bob Carroll's ad for Hellman's mayonnaise, oh, just to use up those Christmas bits. <laughs> um, yeah, oh. but but Superman was key. Those Christopher Reeve films were key to my Christmas childhood. It was Bond in the afternoon on Christmas Day, and then perhaps a few days later or New Year's Day, they would show Superman one or two, and they were. And once you put all the ad breaks in those style kind of films, well, they would go on for about five days. So you'd have this sort of great day and night of Supermanness on ITV, and I, I kind of miss that analog yeah. style kind era a lot. But but yeah, we still got Superman films. You can see why they split them into two. I mean, I don't think this one got that so much of that treatment, but I definitely remember those deleted scenes that were on the Blu-ray being in the film um, mm. when they were on ITV. And I know that with the first film they split into two over two nights so that it could sell two lots of adverts and and everything and everything's right. about making a few extra dollars but um but yeah mm. this one was definitely one that obviously dragged because i mean the playtime on the blu-ray was just over two hours mm. and i imagine you could make that chuck a few extra minutes in then you've probably mm-hmm. got an extra i don't know half hours worth of adverts on that as well so yeah yeah they, were, for a few they were big epics yeah and that was the point as well they wanted it to be a big hollywood epic you know when superman was made in uh well production kicked off in 76 they were billing it almost as a biblical epic mm. um hackman brando uh who's it was often it's ned beatty Jack, they jackie they, cooper and yeah it was never christopher reeve he yeah. was sort of kept at bay you know because 
they wanted Superman to be unknown, and rightly so. Um, and then later, because Dudley Moore they wanted for Superman 3, there was the whole thinking of having him as one of the other villains, um, and that that idea then became Santa Claus the movie, or S- Superman 3.5, as we <laughs> should really call it. I wonder if, because um, they put Peter Cook in Supergirl, I wonder if they one of them caught a bit of Derek and Clive and just thought, oh, they're, oh. they're really funny, let's get them in Superman film. I'm just thinking Derek and Clive <laughs> recording on set at Pinewood. Yeah, they're crossovers. Yeah. Uh, hang on, 83, uh, Supergirl sh- filmed around 83. Uh, I think, uh, think uh, Santa Claus is probably the year later, though, yeah, a bit later. I think, but they're uh, all big uh, Pinewood productions. Yeah, I think at that point they hated each other, didn't they? But um, even so, you'd have had him calling, I don't know, Superman, you fucking can't. Oh, God, yeah. you could. <laughs> I, I love Peter Cook in Supergirl. I've said yeah. this a lot, but he... I, I, it's, the, the best moment in Supergirl, and a friend of ours are, um, in America, he's a performance um, artist, and he he was judging the film as a performer, and he said the best scene is when uh, Faye Dunaway opens the um, opens the door and sees Peter Cook wearing that silver sort of I don't know like Italian jumpsuit, <laughs> Baco foil thing, and she scans him up and down like, what the fuck are you wearing, Nigel? Uh, and I love. I love him in that film and he's so bitter against everything. <laughs> he hates the girls because they're young. He hates the women because they've, they've got some skills he hasn't. And I, he's brilliant in that film. None of it makes any sense. It's, oh. it's, it's slightly ridiculous. But when I was nine watching Supergirl and also Super... In fact, I, I, sorry to uh, bang on here, but I, the first time I saw Superman 3 was the same day I saw Supergirl at the cinema. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because I, I saw it up in Glasgow at uh, the Odeon that's no longer there and we then went to some cousins for tea and they had this miraculous miracle box called a VCR which I, we didn't have for another year and they said let's go and rent out Superman 3 and I remember going to the store and that cover with it had some great artwork Superman 3 mm. with uh, Superman sort of swooping out of the, um, the computer, sort of computer, yeah. computer bank thing and I remember we watched and we never watched it all so I never really saw it and that was my and I never saw Superman 3 at the cinema sadly yeah, I think I've seen all of them at the cinema because I saw Superman Four. Was it because John sorted it out? But I went to see that. And oh, you were there that night. Yeah, that I was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think the third one's the only one I haven't seen. I, I suppose maybe there isn't the the appetite for that. But um, yeah, maybe maybe that should be the next campaign. Come on, BFI, you're listening. Let's do a yeah. Actually, why not do a Superman retrospective? There must be some anniversary we can. I, I saw the Donna cut of Superman Two at the BFI, so they must have I mean there weren't many people there but surely surely it must be somewhere there'll be some prints of it yes. uh, yeah um, although some kinds they were <laughs> I don't really keep knocking them I don't even know them <laughs> and I, I, you know they, they made great pieces of cinema but I, I know that some of their legalities and the contracts have slightly clipped the wings of some of these films yeah. in terms of where they're seen later but uh, I guess they all sit with Warner now don't they but, hmm. yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. anyway Mark now, as we touched upon before, I know in a lot of your other pod appearances that I've heard, you've talked about Catching Bullets, which is your memoir of being a James Bond fan. Mm. Um, now, the book that you've touched upon a lot here is Watching Skies. Um, mm. Now, obviously, there's quite a bit of Superman in there, but what else is in there for anyone who might be looking at it? OK, well, the, the full title is Watching Skies, Star Wars, Spielberg and Us. Um, I, I did want to get Superman in there, but it was just becoming too long <laughs> on any on any Google search. It would never be found. But it's looking back at a window of cinema that was quite a small window of cinema, 75 to 84. 
I'm writing it. I get to decide that's a time zone. <laughs> um, I didn't even want to go to 85 because it would it confused the narrative a bit. Uh, I also wanted to do a book that was a prequel to Catching Bullets, so I didn't want to step on the year's toes too much because I've done that. I've been there. Um, but it's it looks at Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters, Star Wars, Superman. I sort of do Superman 1, 3, and Supergirl. I obviously give some love to Super. Uh, Superman 2 and I would have gladly done a whole big loving chapter on that film but the space becomes a problem but it's just looking to answer your question it's looking at not just those films are great because they're in our minds and our childhood as great of course they are but they were actually they were a lot more important than that you know how Star Wars came out in the summer chain and Jaws as well actually Jaws more so Jaws changed so much it didn't just change American cinema it changed how what time of year films were put on and then suddenly the summer became a, a platform for big blockbusters Jaws famously was the first film that ish was coined a blockbuster and and Superman to me very importantly sits in that that bracket you know Superman um, was part it's the same with E.T. and Star Wars that it was as important in the early to mid 80s to have a cordless telephone a VCR a car with a sunroof and a copy of Superman the movie on VHS. <laughs> they, those were the expected societal aspirations. I'm not joking either. They, that, that was important. It would be like, oh, um, yeah, my mate Greg, his dad's uncle has got a VHS or beta copy of Superman 3. You're like, oh, my God. It's like, which, wow. this is witchery. So I'm going back. I, I take the personal, I frame it with my personal remembrances. I actually, when I go into the Superman films, I met Christopher Reeve, which I should wow. have said a lot earlier, actually. I, I, uh, I was Guildford High Street, March 85. He was performing in a play at the local theatre before it transferred to the West End. And he was walking towards me on the cobbled streets of Guildford High Street. And no one else had seen him. I'm like, oh. I was on my own as well. I was like uh, nine in a bit. And I was probably going off to buy more Gamorrean guards from the bargain basement Star Wars bit in Tesco. But I saw him and I was nine years old. And I, you don't talk to strangers, even if they are actually Clark Kent. <laughs> And just before I could sort of get his attention or smile at him, he'd gone or turned a corner. And I wasn't quite sure that moment had happened. But, um, yeah, and I became quite Superman fixated and yeah. built, made my own cape. And the book goes into that. So it's looking at those films again, looking at why they're important, but also why were they important to our lives? Not just watching moves, uh, movies, but our lives and how much they've, like we've said, look how many examples we've given of how they've, dented our trips to new york and wedding photos we <laughs> these films burnt into popular culture for lots of reasons and that's what i look into oh superb well um let's say your website is markoconnell.co.uk um that's right. so it's, and your twitter is mark zero connell as we discussed yes. it some prick got there first someone nabbed it first but yeah that's <sighs> fine yeah just if you do hashtag watching skies or even hashtag catching bullets all hashtags lead to me and rome Mark, thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you. Cheers.
This episode is brought to you with executive producers Gary West, Fergus Higginson, Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Christian Dees, Andy Elliott and Chris Hopkins and associate producer Chris Oakley. Visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club for more information about bonus episodes, early access and more. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on iTunes.